Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Hunter Biden is a private citizen, and this was a personal matter for him. As we have said, the president, the first lady, they love their son, and they support him as he continues to rebuild his life. But will rebuilding that life include Hunter Biden getting a plea deal after his expected deal unraveled in a dramatic fashion at a hearing on Wednesday? President Biden's son walked into a Delaware courtroom intending to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax crimes and to enter into a diversion agreement to avoid prison on a gun charge. But federal judge Mary Ellen Norica refused to sign off on the terms of the deal, expressing concerns about the structure of the deal and the scope of immunity, among other things. So Hunter Biden left the courtroom not knowing if he would have a deal or face a trial. Joining me is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. How unusual is it to have a plea deal that's not nailed down before you take it to the judge? Well, that was the most surprising thing about this case, which was that the judge didn't seem to be fully invested in what was going on here. And the parties themselves also had a disagreement between what the terms of the plea meant. And that's unusual. So the plea deal initially didn't protect Hunter Biden from prosecution for other potential charges in the future. Isn't that kind of immunity an essential part of most plea deals? Most plea deals are plead to specific counts and this investigation goes away. However, there are cases where the prosecutor says, we are continuing our investigation. If you want to wrap up a portion of it with a plea, we'll take that, and then you'll see where the chips lie going down the line. More unusual, but it's not without precedent. The judge described the plea deal as not standard, not what I normally see, and possibly unconstitutional. What made this plea deal so complicated and so different? Well, there are two things. First is the parties disagreed as to whether or not this wrapped up everything. The prosecutor said, no, it's a continuing investigation, and there are other possible charges, FARA in particular, that's the foreign lobbying prohibitions. So there was that. Biden thought this wrapped up the FARA stuff. Prosecutor said, no. Judge says, we can't have a plea where you disagree on what the parameters of it are. Second was the diversion on the gun case. What happens in the diversion cases, usually, prosecutor says, I'll let this case be diverted, meaning you won't go to jail. And if you do all the terms of the diversion program, then the case will just go away. Normally, that's a contract between the two parties. Prosecutor says you have to do ABCD. Defendant says, okay, 
if A, B, C, D are done in the prosecutor's mind, the case goes away. In this case, they said, because you are Hunter Biden, we're going to ask the court to decide whether A, B, C, D has been done. And she said, whoa, that's not my role. That's a prosecutor's role. I don't decide whether charging decisions are proper and whether the terms of a plea are appropriately followed. I don't want anything to do with that. And it may be unconstitutional as a separation of powers matter to have the judiciary performing what is essentially an executive branch function. So she said, get me out of the middle of this thing. Come back when you can let me know that you have an executive branch constitutionally acceptable plea deal. So was this deal unusual? Was it unprecedented the way it was structured? Well, the diversion part was very unusual because it had the judge making decisions that usually just prosecutors make. That's the most unusual part of this thing. As to the tax charges, he would have pleaded guilty to failure to pay taxes in a timely fashion, not tax fraud, but failure to pay. In this case, he made a lot of money and he didn't pay on time. He ultimately paid. And so the question is, when you have a person who hasn't paid on time, do you charge them with a felony for that failure to file or do you charge them with a misdemeanor? In this case, the prosecutors determined that he should be charged with a misdemeanor. There are a lot of extenuating circumstances, his drug and alcohol addictions, the fact that he repaid the money, the fact that he's repentant and the like. And they just decided that this was a misdemeanor appropriate charge. That happens all the time. That's prosecutorial discretion in its most stark definition. And there's nothing really unusual about it. The terms of this plea were that there was no specific sentence that was agreed to by the court and both parties. This was a discretionary plea, meaning the court had the power, even though the prosecutor was recommending probation, to sentence Hunter Biden to jail. And they all acknowledge that. That also is a little bit unusual. More often than not, the defendant wants a deal where if I'm going to plead guilty, I know I'm getting one year or I'm getting probation. These 11B cases, as they call them, where the judge is not bound by the recommendations are, again, a little bit unusual because defense lawyers want their clients to have certainty. Many Republicans have said this was a sweetheart deal. Some legal experts have said, no, this, in fact, was a tougher deal than usual. What do you think? Was it a sweetheart deal? I don't think so. I think it falls within the boundaries of prosecutorial discretion. They have the right to charge taxes as misdemeanors or felonies for failure to pay. And these what they call lie and buy cases, the gun case, where you lie on the form that, no, I'm not under the influence of alcohol when I bought this gun. Those cases, if those weapons are not used in the commission of a crime after they're purchased, oftentimes those are treated as misdemeanors. And so, as we just talked about a moment ago, this, I think, was in the, the four corners of what is prosecutorial discretion. I don't think it was a sweetheart deal. But if they charge him as a felony, it wouldn't be out of bounds either. The judge gave them time to negotiate, and they came back, and he agreed to plead guilty to the two tax charges in a deal that only included conduct related to the tax offenses, drug use, and gun possession. And they agreed that this wouldn't shield him from other potential charges. The judge wasn't satisfied with that. And she said it might be unconstitutional, but they said, well, 
will agree, you know, not to challenge it as unconstitutional. Could she have let the deal go forward? I think so. I think she could have said, look, the tax charges are non-controversial. They're, you know, a matter of prosecutorial discretion, whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor. And I'll accept that it's a, your decision, prosecutor, which type of charge to bring. And they had a little conversation about that. She said, is this normal for me to make a charging decision? And everybody agreed, no, 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 judge, you're right. You don't make charging decisions. We do. And she said, fair enough. And this is your charging decision. Yes, this is our charging decision. So that could have gone through pretty straightforwardly, this taxes. On the diversion thing, she said, I don't want to be in the middle of this thing. I don't want to make any decisions about whether he complied or didn't comply. They said, all right, fine. We'll just pretend it's a contract between the two of us, and we, the prosecutors, will make all determinations about compliance or non-compliance. I think they could have left it, and she could have gone forward. But I don't think she liked the language in the plea, which had her somehow in the middle. So I think she's making them come back with a more clearly written plea agreement. I think the parameters of it are now clear. There'll be two tax misdemeanors, a diversion program. The prosecutors will determine whether he's in compliance with the diversion and only the prosecutors will make that decision. And then he'll be pleading guilty. And then the investigation will be ongoing, whether he violated the FARA rules, Foreign Registration Act rules, or whether he did anything else. So as you mentioned, Michael, during the hearing, prosecutors confirmed that the investigation into Biden was ongoing and that he could still be charged with a violation of FARA, which is the Foreign Agents Registration Act. How often are plea deals made when an investigation is ongoing? It's unusual that a plea is made in the middle of an ongoing investigation where you are still the subject of that ongoing investigation. It could be that you have a broad ongoing investigation, say the January 6th investigation, and someone could plead guilty to the role they played in that broader investigation, ending all of their criminal involvement in that broader ongoing investigation. It's unusual that they'll plead guilty and be told still, you know, you could still be charged with additional violations of law because they'll want to say, well, then I'll wait to see what all is out there for me, because maybe we can get a then comprehensive plea that encompasses everything. So it's unusual. And I think that's why Biden's lawyers said at first when the court said, does this wrap up everything? They said yes, because that's what I think they thought was going on. And the prosecutors said no, and then they had to go out to the hallway and talk about it. Then the defense came back and said, all right, Farah is still on the table. It's still ongoing. But that is surprising to me. And apparently they've been discussing that. That's been a bone of contention in the negotiations. And so to come into court and not have that settled is just mind-boggling. The only thing I can say is that, you know, Hunter Biden is a fragile human being. If you listen to him in court and you look at his history, he was last using drugs in 2019. He's been in and out of treatment programs since 2003, 20 years of drug and alcohol addiction, it may just have been that he said to his lawyers, look, I need to get closure. Even if it's not closure on 100% of this thing, I just need to keep moving forward with my life. I can't have this hanging over me. I'll take my chances on the Farah thing, but can we please wrap this thing up? Because it's weighing on me, and people who have addiction problems that have big things like this that weigh on them, 
can be tipping points for them to revert to their bad behavior. That's a good point. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan credited the IRS whistleblowers for the collapse of the plea deal. How much did politics play a part in the collapse, do you think? I don't think it played any part in it. In in fact, the judge said in a colloquy with the uh, prosecutor, you're doing what you think is best and I'm not going to tell you what is or isn't appropriate in this case. This is all up to you, and it'll be based on your review of the evidence. And he said, that's right, Judge. And so they didn't in any way attribute the whistleblower or the politics of this thing to the breakdown of the plea. And in fact, in the 127 pages of the transcript of this thing, which I've read through, there's no mention of whistleblowers or the investigation being a sweetheart investigation or a corrupt investigation. None of that stuff came up. So they're taking credit for something that they had no right to take credit for. The judge told both sides to work out how the deal was structured and resubmit it when it can pass constitutional muster. She gave them 30 days to submit briefs. Does this seem like it's something that can be resolved, that this plea deal can be resurrected? Or will this drag on and perhaps end with Hunter Biden going to trial? No, I think that this will settle. I think that the outline of the plea was sort of made clear at the very end when they said, we'll come back and we'll give you a cleaner document, which will include the two misdemeanor tax cases and the one lion by gun case for which he will be diverted. And we, the prosecutors, will make all the final determinations about whether he's complied with the terms of his diversion program. And I think that'll be that. The fact that He's the president's son, and, you know, all eyes were on this plea deal. Do you think that made the judge more cautious, perhaps? Oh, sure. I think that the judge knew. In fact, I think the judge acknowledged during the plea that she was being particularly careful because everyone is going to read this transcript. They're going to fly spec it, and she wants to make sure that every T has been crossed and every I has been dotted. And so, yes, she was particularly careful. And I think she did a great job in making sure that everything that needed to be covered off was covered off. Well, we'll see what happens within 30 days or perhaps sooner. Thanks so much, Michael. That's former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.